last weekend, here's how it went for me. So I come to church in the morning, I preach, I preach. I go home, I have dinner with my family. As soon as we're done having dinner, I take the sermon, I mix it down, I post it to the website, and then I start studying for the next sermon. Um, and uh, I knew the, the passage I was coming to, it's a, it's a big passage, there's a lot to cover. So I started studying, you know, usually by the time I get home, have dinner, get everything mixed down, it's like 2.30. Started to study at 2.30, doing a lot of reading, doing a lot of writing. Uh, I studied until midnight. I don't usually study that late on Sunday, but did, there was so much stuff there. So I'm kind of studying, I'm working at midnight, I'm like, I got to go to bed, go to bed, wake up the next morning, it's Monday, right? So I think I told you sometimes... I have Best Buy Mondays, right? Just some Mondays I wake up and I'm just like, oh, I just want to go work at Best Buy, you know, because it's just sometimes ministry is tough. Ministry is demanding. Now, here's what happens sometimes. Sometimes I wake up on Monday morning, like this last Monday morning, and I was just like, I just felt discouraged. I just felt like down. Um, I think I may, I don't know if I know what depressed is, but it might have been something like this, you know, kind of woke up and I just felt just this heavy burden, this heavy burden. And so I, I thought, well, I got to get, get going in the passage. I got to, so, and I didn't know why. I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll journal a little bit. I'll, I'll pray a little bit. So I prayed for a while, journaled for a while, nothing, nothing. I'm just still feeling just a real heaviness. And so sometimes that happens on Monday, I know that. So uh, I just studied, I'm just going to work through it. Studied, studied all day Monday, studied in the evening, uh, went to bed, not, just, not, just feeling discouraged, just kind of feeling down. Don't really know why. It was a great, last weekend was a great weekend. I mean, it was an amazing weekend. I kind of I joked with you, but I said, you know, last weekend might offend some people. I was really concerned about that. Um, and all I got was just, I got nothing but supportive emails from you guys, nothing but supportive phone calls. It was just, it was great. And it, and it reminded me what an amazing church Gateway is. Just, just phenomenal. And um, so Tuesday, I get up, I wake up in the morning, I'm like, I don't know why I'm so discouraged and why I'm so down. I got a great church. I love my church. My church loves me. We, we love God. Just so many good things happening. And I couldn't figure it out. Uh, I came into the office. I sat down for a minute. I started reading the sermon and it, it suddenly like clicked. And I realized what was wrong. And what was, what was wrong was this. And I hadn't really figured it out until that moment. Like for the first six weeks of this series, I've, I just get to come up here every weekend and just yell at you. I just get to kick you around. I've kicked the men around. I've kicked the women around. I've kicked the dogs around. There's been a lot of yelling from up here, hasn't there? There's been just a lot of like coming up here and it's been in love. It's been in compassion. But every weekend I come up here and we're just kind of hammering home and stuff. And before this, it was Habakkuk. And there's a lot of hammering in Habakkuk as well. But I realized something on Tuesday. I realized what's bugging me. It's this sermon. It's this text. Because in this text, the tables are turned, right? Because in this text, if I'm yelling at anyone this, tonight, I'm yelling at me. If I'm kicking anyone, I'm kicking me because this job is really, this, is, this, this uh, sermon, this passage, it's about my job. It's about the, the ministry that I have. We're in, we're in 1 Timothy. If you have your Bibles, turn to chapter 3. And uh, 1 Timothy, just so you know, this is, we call this a pastoral epistle. The word epistle is just uh, from the Greek, it means letter. So it's a letter written from one pastor named Paul to another pastor named Timothy. I mean, just um, understand, some letters were written by Paul to the church. But this wasn't written to the church. It was written to Timothy. It was, it was advice to a pastor on how to pastor the church. Um, I'm going uh, with a small group of people from Gateway in, I don't know, 11 days, I think, to Nicaragua for a couple of weeks. And while I'm down there, I'm going to be teaching pastoral theology to some pastors down there. I'm, 
I'm just teaching them what I've been teaching you um, over the last seven weeks. I'm just, just tweaking it a little bit because I'll be speaking to pastors. So I'll be talking to them because that's a lot of our pastoral theology comes from 1 Timothy. So I'm just going to kind of be teaching them what I've, I've been teaching you. You guys have been, whether you knew it or not, you've been learning pastoral theology. You've been, you've been kind of seeing the church not from the perspective of someone who sits in the, in the chair, but you've kind of been seeing church from a leadership point of view. Now, today we're going to talk about elders, and next weekend we're going to talk about deacons. These are two groups of people who make up the core leadership of the church, elders and deacons. And this is really a serious issue when you think about it. You may be thinking, you're not an elder, you're not a deacon, what's the big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. Because many of you are giving your money to this church you're giving your time to this church. You're praying for this church. You're trusting the leadership. And the question is, should you be? Should you be trusting the leadership of this church? Are the leaders in this church, are, are we qualified? Are we people who are following Jesus? Are we, follow, are, are we taking the church in another direction altogether? Can you trust us to teach the truth? Are we leaders who are humble before God? Those are important questions. We're going to talk about that tonight and next week. Now, I'll just, just say this. If you're a guy, all right, this, what we're going to talk about tonight is a great checklist for you, some great characteristics of what it means to be mature in Christ. And so you can kind of, you know, you can go through the checklist, see how you're doing. If you're married, you could let your wife score for you. Maybe, you know, that'd be fun. And, uh, and then just, you know, look ahead and say, here's some areas where I could grow. Here's some areas where I'm doing good. If you're here, if you're a lady, if you're single, Okay, you should write this list, keep this list with you, and when you're looking for a guy, just look at this list, all right? Find a guy who fits this list, or close, close to this list. Uh, maybe not the guy who's a husband of one wife, but other than that, when you're looking like, you know, look at that list. If you're here and you're a lady and you're married, um, here's a great, some great things to pray about for your husband and some great things to be encouraging in your husband. So we're going to talk about elders tonight. All right, here we go. Um, in your notes, you can see we've got a lot of ground to cover. In chapter 3, verse 1, it starts this way. Uh, he, Paul says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, or, or elder I have, some of your Bibles have elder, some have overseer, it is a noble work that he desires to do. So, um, the word overseer here, uh, there's a lot of synonyms in the New Testament Greek for this. Uh, some Bibles use the word elder. When we talk about an overseer, an elder, a pastor, a bishop, they all come from the same word. They mean the same thing. In some church traditions, they call them elders. In our church, we call them pastors. So our pastors are elders. You know, we, you don't call us elders. You just call us pastors or you just call us Bob. But, you know, um, elder, pastor, really the same thing. So here's what he says. It's a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires. Now that's a really important word. In fact, we're talking a lot about that in this series. What he's saying is this. It's good, men and women. It's good to aspire to spiritual leadership. It's a, it's a good thing to aspire to Christian maturity. To want to wanna possess the, the, characters, the characteristics required of leaders. So he says, here's something to aspire to. Here's not just something for other people. Here's something for you as well. In verse 2, now he's going to just kind of lay this out for us. Now the overseer or the elder or pastor must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 
If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So he lays out for us the characteristics of pastors, of elders, of bishops, of overseers. Now notice what's not on this list. Not on this list is Bible college, all right? Now, Bible college can be great. It can be beneficial. I went to Bible college. I'd highly recommend it, but it's not on the list. Seminary is not on the list. Ordination is not on the list. While I think ordination can be a very helpful thing, but it's not what Paul talks about here. What Paul talks about is character. He talks about character. When it comes to picking your leaders, pick them by their character because, because great character makes a great Christian. And a great Christian makes a great leader, makes a healthy church. See, part of what he's saying, I think part of what the church has learned, is that a guy can be a great teacher, he can be a great singer, he can be outgoing, he can be well-organized or a visionary. But if this man doesn't have character, it will all unravel. It always does. The news is full of men who take leadership positions in churches, and they have everything but character. And it always unravels. See, if you aspire to, to leadership, any kind of leadership in the local church, the best place to start is with your personal day-to-day relationship with Jesus Christ, your character. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover this passage, but we're not going to do it um, verse by verse. We're going to cover it. We're going to break it up into four kind of areas of relationship. And the first one is this. We're going to talk about the leader's relationship to God. So we're going to talk about what it means for an elder or a mature Christian in relation to God. Now, he gives us several things here. The first thing he says is this, that it's a man. So we talked about this last week when it comes to, to elders in the church. All right, this is a role for males. God has role, uh, roles for men to play, roles for women to play. This is a role for men to play in the church. Now, when he says a man, he doesn't just mean a dude, okay? So he's not like just any, any dude who's got an X and a Y chromosome, all right? You're, you're good to go. He's, he's talking, and we'll get the picture here. He's talking about mature men, all right? He's talking about hardworking men. He's talking about men willing to take leadership seriously, He's talking about courageous men. We've already talked about the fact that leadership in the church takes courage at times. It's men who are willing to take responsibility for other people. It's men who are willing to develop their God-given skills and men willing to serve other people. This is not, this is not a man-child, okay? And we have a lot of man, men children in our society. The guys who have grown, their, their bodies have grown up, but their heads have not, you know, their minds have not grown up. They're, they're, they're a man-child. They won't grow up. They're lazy, they're immature, they don't have self-discipline, all right? And, and you see this even at times, you see it in churches, you see it in leadership. Men who are just man-child, they, they, haven't, they haven't grown up. I know, I know several pastors over the years who have been working in churches, pulling down full-time paychecks from the church. Hard-earned money of men and women in the church who give to the church and that's paid this man's salary. Several men who, quite frankly, these are guys who just, they, they, would, they would sleep in every morning. They'd show up to work when they felt like it. They'd, you know, they'd show up at noon and take a three-hour lunch. And these were not men who were students of the word. They never broke a sweat. You know, they might work like maybe a solid 20 hours a week in church, but they'd take home that full-time paycheck. These are boys, not men. The first thing he says here is in a leader, you're looking for men. 
You're looking for hard-working men in the church. So he says they need to be men. And here's the second thing. They need to be men who are above reproach. All right, that means that they have trustworthy character. Now, this, this idea of above reproach, this is what we might call a, a junk drawer statement. It's just a, it's a drawer with a, and a lot of stuff fits in there, all right? As one writer said, the Bible doesn't list every stupid thing a guy can do to disqualify himself from leadership because we'd have to cut down every tree on the planet to write down every stupid thing that a man can do or that men have done. So this is kind of a, a junk drawer statement. He's, he's talking about, uh, this includes like what men say, right? Um, uh, how they treat people, how they interact with women, uh, um, how, how a man handles money, how his work ethic, his morals, uh, how he treats his body, self-control. And, and there's a lot of stuff that you could put in that drawer of above reproach. Like for instance, when I was in college, I had a friend who was a youth pastor. And um, one time he got all his seniors together, all the guys who went on a camp out and he bought them all beer because he thought it would be really cool, like a, ma a man thing to do. He bought them all beer and he gave them all just one, just one beer, all right? And these were underage guys and he bought them all beer. But it, it was, so when I, when I questioned him on it, when he went, why he did it, he said, well, he thought it would be cool. They could have their first beer at, you know, at a youth group event. How cool would that be? But he said, I only gave him one. So they couldn't get drunk. Just, I only gave him one. All right. And when we talked about it, I said, well, that's, you know, he said, it's not like the Bible doesn't say you can't give a high schooler a beer. And I'm like, yeah, it's right here above reproach. All right. It's, that, that fits in the junk drawer. That's just stupid. All right. Uh, for instance, guys who tell inappropriate jokes, all right, that, that's, in the, that's in the junk drawer. Uh, guys who cheat on their taxes and brag about it, all right? That's in the junk drawer. Men who like cats, that, that should be in the junk drawer. So <laughs> above reproach. All right, we'll just move on. Uh, able to teach. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> wow. It's a good thing you didn't have rocks, so. Able able to teach. <laughs> we'll just move right along. An elder needs to be able to teach. He needs to be an effective Bible communicator. So um, first things first, you have to know the Bible, all right? If you're going to be an elder, you have to know the Bible. You have to be an avid student. You need to be aspiring, an aspiring theologian. It doesn't mean you have to have it all figured out, but you need to be studying. You need to be learning, if you're a pastor, you read lots and lots of books because there's lots and lots of stuff that you don't know and you know that you don't know it. So you read and you read and you read and you listen to podcasts and you read books and you get training and you listen to other sermons because it's good to hear other people who are good at their craft. Now, let me just say something here. Here's something I figured out years ago before I came to Gateway. I don't know if you've seen the statistics, but they say that the average senior pastor changes churches, or changes churches every three years. The average senior pastor changed churches every three years. People have wondered why that is. I figured out why it is. I figured it out like 25 years ago because I saw it in action. All right, here's how it works. A guy goes, a pastor goes to his first church and, and he gets into church and he starts preaching. And he preaches first week and he preaches the second week and he preaches the third week and it keeps going and it's hard. He finds out it's hard work. He finds out he doesn't know a lot of stuff. He has to read, he has to study, he's up late, it's hard work, right? And after three years, here's what happened. After three years, pastors say, this is just so, this is so hard, right? So here's what they do. I'll go to another church. 
So they go to another church, and then they just take the old stuff that they did, and they do it all over again. They only got three years worth of sermons in them. That's it, all right? So then they go to the next church, and they preach for three years. And I know you're going to think I'm being harsh here, but then they go to the next church for three years, and I'd say it because I've seen it. I've actually seen pastors, and I'm not kidding, I've seen pastors who are like in their third or fourth church. They're not just preaching the same sermons. They're using the same notes. They didn't even rewrite it. They're like using illustrations from the Nixon administration. You know what I mean? Because they never, they're, they're not a student anymore. They're not a learner anymore. They don't want to work at it anymore. So he says, you've got to be able to teach. You've got to be a student of the word. You're never done learning. You're never done growing. And he says, you need to be able that is, you need to be a good communicator. I think part of what it means is you need to be spiritually gifted from God to be able to do this. You need to be able to explain doctrine in meaningful ways. You need to be able to, to, to keep the attention of the people that you're talking to. You need to be passionate. You need to have conviction. Now, I'll tell you, uh, in the 20 years that I've been at Gateway, I've kind of come, I've come full circle. When I first came to Gateway, um, I just would preach um, expositionally. It's the only way I really knew how. Like I, when I first came, I just preached through books of the Bible or, or through, through sections, sometimes large sections. And we just kind of preach, you know, um, verse by verse and go through it. And after I'd been doing that for a couple of years, I started to get comments like, you know, the sermons are too long. It's, I'll tell you, when you preach verse by verse, it, it, they, they, they tend to be longer and than when you just do it kind of, uh, you know, topically. And they were kind of long. And, and then people would say, you know, in the cool churches, they use topical series. So I kind of looked around and sure enough, all the cool churches were doing topical series, you know. And, and so I kind of, I, I was immature. Uh, I was younger <laughs> than I am now. Um, and so I kind of caved and I, I began to teach topical. And that's what I did. In fact, not only did I teach topical for a long time, but I even got into this, this kind of mindset where I would say, you know, a sermon can't be more than 30 minutes. And, uh, if, it was, and if it was less than 30 minutes, I felt like I, I scored points with God. He was really impressed with me, you know. And, and then kind of time went by, and then I got in my 50s. So I'll tell you what, I'm in my 50s, and I don't even care about being cool anymore. I'm like so far past that, there's no hope for me to be cool. So I just decided, you know what, I'm going back to expositional preaching. I'm going back to book by book and verse by verse. And sure enough, the sermons got longer, you know. But here's, here, here's my feeling when it comes to preaching in the church. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I got tired, I got tired of being the one to decide what, what, what I was going to teach on each weekend. When you teach topically, you, the pastor pretty much gets to decide what, what he's teaching on. And I just got tired of it. I got, I've been here a long time. I ran out of things to talk about. Actually, I ran out of things to talk about years ago. Many of you figured it out already. You know, you're like, he keeps talking about this. I, there came a time when I decided I just need to let God be God again in the church. I need to let God decide what I'm going to preach on. And the best way to do that is just pick a book and start teaching through it. We've been teaching through stuff in this series I haven't taught through in years if I've taught through it all, right? We've talked about women's clothing. I don't talk about that a lot. Talking about some stuff in this series, you know. Hey, but this is, you just let God be God. And I think it's really important for a teacher to let God be God in the church and stop playing God and stop trying to, trying to figure out what the church needs and just let God do his work. See, here's what's amazing to me. When we went into 1 Timothy, I kept thinking, well, you know, I'm a pastor. I'm looking at the church. Here's some topics we need to talk about. I probably need to preach on. We're not going to teach on any of these things in 1 Timothy. It never comes up. Here's what's been amazing to me. We haven't missed any of those things. I mean, all the stuff that we've been going through, it's just been great stuff. It's just been good stuff that God has for us as we let God be God. Right? So he needs to be able to teach. We'll move on. Um, and not a recent convert. All right? He needs to be a mature Christian. 
Now, let me focus on two words here. First of all, the word convert. All right, let's start there. He needs to be a convert, all right? As one writer said, if you're not on the team, you can't lead the team. This might be shocking to you, but there are pastors and elders in churches who are not on the team. They're not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I, sometimes I'll have people come to me and they'll say, Pastor, I went to this church or I visited this church or we, we tried out this church. And here, here was the sermon. The, the pastor started with a clip from a movie and then he kind of, he quoted Dr. Phil for 20 minutes and then he threw in a quick Bible verse at the end. No gospel, no, cruci- no, no, no crucifixion, no resurrection, no, no Jesus, no sin, no repentance, none of that stuff. Just little Dr. Phil and a couple stories and a Bible verse at the end that they didn't even talk about just in pray and, and, and they're done, right? I know nationally known pastors, nationally known famous pastors that you can turn on TV, you can turn on the radio and listen to them. These are guys who don't believe in the virgin birth. They deny that Jesus is the only way to God. They don't believe in salvation by faith. They're in Christian churches, but they're not on the team. I remember how we had neighbor, uh, some neighbors years ago, my wife and I did, uh, this couple, and, and uh, they, they go to church in the community, a church in the community, and they shared with me, I told you this before, but one time we got in this discussion out front because they asked me, you know, what do you do when you preach and how long do you preach? And I said, you know, before I answered the question, I'm like, I don't know how long does your pre- pastor preach? And she said, 15 minutes tops. You know, if you can't say it in 15 minutes, you just shouldn't bother saying it. So I said, well, what does he do? Well, he gets up, he tells a nice story, he reads a Bible verse, and he tells another story, and he prays. 15 15 minutes tops, no more than 15. If you can't say it, then don't, in 15, don't say it. You know, and I told her, don't visit our church, right? But here's the thing. When I hear stuff like that, when I hear stuff like that, I don't just wonder about a pastor's doctrine. I wonder about a pastor's salvation. Where's the passion? Where's the conviction? Where's the gospel? We should be people who demand this of our leaders, We demand people who are just relentlessly talking about Jesus and relentlessly talking about the gospel and relentlessly talking about the grace of God. That's what we need in our teachers. And he says this, and not someone who is a recent believer. All right, now why doesn't God let new Christians be elders? Because God loves them, all right, that's why. So I'll tell you just a quick story. I became a Christian during my freshman year in high school. So I, 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 I grew up in a non-Christian background. I'd never been to church. I'd never read the Bible. I didn't know anything about Jesus. Freshman year of high school, uh, just a great story. God reached out, saved me, got involved with a group of kids on campus. We had a, we had a Bible club on campus, met on Thursdays. And uh, I started attending the second half of my freshman year. Um, during that time, uh, they, they discovered that I could play the guitar and sing. They needed a worship leader. So I started leading worship. It's, I just tell you this, it's not hard to lead worship, okay? Like any parrot can lead. If you can strum and, and sing, right? And just, I didn't write the words. I didn't, I, I just could sing. I could just parrot the words. So there, I was singing. I was, you know, doing that. I, I, I believed in Christ, but as a brand new Christian, I didn't know that much. So at the end of my freshman year, um, they were voting in officers for the next year and um, they voted me in as vice president. Now I know why they did because I was a musician and musicians are cool. We all know that. And so, you know, and even, I just hate to say it, but even Christians sometimes, we kind of, we just, I don't know, sometimes we do stuff like that. Instead of looking at a person's character, instead of looking at me and saying, that guy's too young, they're just like, hey man, he knows the guitar, you know, 
make him vice president. Next year, you know, I still led worship. That's all I did. The group grew. We got to about 80 people on Thursdays. We couldn't meet on campus anymore, so we had to go to a house across the street that had this huge, great room, and we'd go meet over there. God was doing wonderful things. At the end of the year, they voted me in as president for the next year. Been a Christian a year and a half. Got into the next year. Um, I'm the president of this club. It was an absolute disaster. I was not prepared for the criticism. I was not prepared for the pressure. I was not prepared for, for the stress of leadership. It's not that I didn't lack, I didn't lack zeal. I absolutely loved God. I just lacked experience in walking with Jesus. There wasn't enough depth there. And it was, it was devastating for me. We should never do that to brand new Christians. We need to give them time to grow up in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a new Christian, my advice to you is aspire to leadership, but for now, just walk with Jesus. Just get some instruction and serve and get, get healthy. So he talks at first about a, an elder's relationship with God, and then he's gonna talk about an elder, his relationship with his family. Um, so for instance, he says, an elder needs to be the husband of, of one wife. Um, literally, a one-woman man. Some of your translations probably say that. A one-woman man or sexually pure. So now this doesn't mean that single men can't be elders or pastors. Paul was, uh, was single as far as we know. Timothy was single as far as we know. Um, Jesus was single, no question about that. Um, so he's talking here, though, about a one-woman man, about a man who is devoted to one woman exclusively. So, this isn't just, by the way, this, this doesn't just play out once you're married. This kind of plays out before you're even married. So guys uh, who are in the church who are single, I think it's important, just like looking over here, um, it's important to remember that the church is not a, uh, a pickup joint, a place to test drive God's chicks, you know? It's like, that's not what this is about. Um, it's not like, you, you know, you kind of play the field, and then once you meet the right woman, it's like, right, suddenly you automatically become like this one woman man. That's not where it starts, all right? I, I'll tell you what. I've, I've never met any uh, married person who was a serial dater and doesn't regret it. No one. I mean, if, if you dated a whole bunch of people and uh, then you got married and you don't regret it, come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to meet you because I've never met anybody who dated around and feels good about it, like that was actually a good thing to do. Here's a better approach, guys. Wait on God. Pray, get some instruction, grow up in your faith, and Wait. Wait for the woman that God has for you. Married guys, this means your focus is just one woman, okay? It's not rocket science. That means no flirting. That means no maintaining old flames on Facebook as, as a backup plan. Did you know right now, according to some research that I read, and you've probably seen this too, more affairs right now, more extramarital affairs are established over Facebook than any other way right now in the United States, Okay? So we don't, we don't do that, right? No, no checking out women at Starbucks, guys. I, seriously, I meet people at Starbucks. Go to Starbucks. You see these guys, these middle-aged men, these pathetic men who have to check out every single woman who walks through the door. Okay, you under, guys, be a one-woman man. What you do with your eyes, what you do with your mind, what you do with your body, a one-woman man. I could tell you stories of pastors who I've worked with. I mean, I, no, we, we all, we've all heard the stories, right, on the news about pastors who have fallen to sexual sin. What's even sadder is I could tell you story after story. In fact, I wrote a whole bunch of them down when I was writing the sermon, and I couldn't, there's not even enough time to begin to just scratch the surface 
of all the stories I can tell you firsthand that I've seen, men that I've worked with, pastors in churches, elders who, who flirt with women, married pastors in churches who would flirt with women, and the church would just put up with it. Men who had wandering eyes. A, a pastor who was sleeping with another man's wife on Friday and was leading worship on Sunday. See, here's my goal in marriage. My goal in my marriage to Christy is to have a super boring testimony. Just one, one wife, just one passion, just one woman I'm faithful to, end of story. No wild story to tell. Just my wife, just me, all right? All right, there you go. Here's the next one, okay? Oh, I've been waiting for this one. Obedient children, all right? Now, here's the deal. All right, we need to be really careful here. And we, I, I, I have to go through this list quickly to get through it. So I can't, here's the, it means a, a successful father. I mean, I think that's really what it's pointing at here. I know men who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and men who have loved their children and have had children that have gone astray and those men have been forced out of ministry. I absolutely do not believe that that's what this is talking about. Absolutely wrong. Okay, here's what you know. We all know this. Pastors' kids are sinners like everyone else. All right? <laughs> Hi, honey. <laughs> my poor daughter. I love my daughter. Um, and my boys. But um, here's the deal. Here's, is, this just means this, I think, that, that the children respect and honor their father because they know that their father loves them and, and because the, the father gives his time for his kids. And the, if the father leads and the father serves and the father disciplines, this doesn't mean that they will always like their father, but they will respect their father because they trust him to do what's best for them. But this also means this. It means that pastors don't sacrifice their families for the ministry. This is a tricky thing, that there needs to be balance in, in pastors. A, a balance where they sacrifice for the church, but they don't sacrifice their family for the church. I'm just telling you, this is a hard, hard line to walk. And it's very easy for people on the outside to tell you how you're not getting it right, but it's really hard when it's you. I read a story a, little, a couple years ago about a nationally known pastor. I'm not going to say his name. It's not, it's not the important thing. But if I told you his name, I'm, my guess is almost every single one of you would know him. Um, very well-known pastor, been around for a long time, mega, mega church. And, and this guy was a, was a pastor who, when he, when he took the pastorate at his church, his goal was always that he would lead a mega church. He wanted it to be a mega church. So his ambition was what, he put his ambition first, his church first, and his wife and his kids second. And he neglected his wife, and he neglected his ch children while he grew his church, and he grew his church, and his wife kept confronting him about it, and she went to counseling, but couldn't get him to go to counseling, and his church kept growing, and his church kept getting bigger, and it really messed her up. I mean, it seriously messed her up, and eventually she left him. She had to leave him. She couldn't take it anymore, and she left him. She was pretty much destroyed by this time. And here's what he did. He went before his church and he said, my wife left me, but I believe that God has called me to be your pastor. And the church gave him a standing ovation and a vote of confidence to remain their pastor. When what they should have done is they should have thrown him out of that church. They should have sent him home. They should have said, be a husband and be a father and get that straight 
And then come back here and we'll talk about ministry because we love you. And there's forgiveness and acceptance. But go home and love your family. Now, again, this isn't easy to do. Being a pastor and a husband and a father is difficult because a lot of people want your time. The phone is always ringing. There's always an emergency email or Facebook message. There's constant emergencies. There's always needs. Always needs. Always. Now, when my kids were, were young, when they were grade school, we homeschooled our kids. We did it mostly because of a medical situation in our home, but we homeschooled our kids. And here was one of the really cool things. Casey, okay, I, I work on the weekends, Saturday and Sundays, work all day, work all night. So how can I spend time with my family? Well, because we homeschooled, Thursday was, a, was kind of the weekend for us. So every Thursday, I took the day off, my family took the day off from school, and we spent the day together. We did stuff, we did activities, it was our day together. That was our weekend, and I protected that. Sometimes people didn't understand that. Sometimes I received a lot of pressure. You need to come, we're doing this, I got an emergency. This is why we have multiple pastors on staff. And so I did that, I took that time off, I protected that time. I still protect that time with my family. I still have dates with my wife once a week. We had a big date last night, went out for dinner, and then we, we toured Costco, you know? Some of you, some of you, we saw you there, right? You no, know, dinner in Costco, it's kind of the big thing. Here's the deal, all right, guys? If you want to do that, if you want to have a wife and kids and be an elder, here's my advice. Forget hobbies, okay? Just forget them. People ask me, like, what are your hobbies and what do you do for you? <laughs> I just laugh. Here's what I say. I have a wife. I have kids, I have a home to take care of, I have a ministry, time up, all right? If I ever find any more time, I'll do it. But I love my wife, and I love my kids, and I love my church, it's enough for me. But it's a hard balancing act. And then he goes on and he says this, elders need to manage their family, or sometimes it has their household well. That is, they need to be men who provide and lead and organize. A pastor and elder provide shelter for his family, food for his family, clothing, medical needs, education, transportation, all that kind of stuff. As one guy said, if the roof is leaking and the siding is falling off of a pastor's house, how can he take care of an entire church? Good question. Let's move on. Uh, the third relationship, relation to self. A couple things he has here. First, that an elder or a pastor is uh, temperate. That means he's mentally and emotionally stable. Uh, as one writer said, if you're emotionally unstable, don't be a pastor. All right, and that's pretty good advice. Here's the deal when you're a pastor. If you're not emotionally stable, um, here's the thing. People just walk up to you in public places and pour out their tragedies right there at Starbucks, right there at Safeway, I've even had it happen at Home Depot, like nothing sacred, you know? You've got, you got tears. As a pastor, you hear about every terrible thing that people do to each other. Uh, you know, people will, people will criticize you. People will criticize your decisions. People will criticize your sermons and your outlines and how long the sermons are and your song choices. Here's the deal. If you're unstable, all right, as a pastor, you're going to be reacting instead of leading people. Pastors need to not react, but to lead people through difficult situations. Can you imagine a pastor who's easily discouraged or a pastor who is easily angered? Can you imagine a pastor who just flips out every time he gets negative email or, you know, who reacts with angry email? Or you know, can you imagine a pastor who's driving down the road and somebody's tailgating him and he just like wants to, I give you a one. Remember, like if a pastor did that, right? That wouldn't be cool. That wouldn't work out, you know? And the thing is, I know 
I've known pastors over the years who are wonderful, godly men. Wonderful guys. But they could not handle the pressure. Just that men, pastors who had full-blown nervous breakdowns. And maybe some of you have known pastors like that. Just completely ended up in the hospital. Just completely lost it. Medicated just to get through a day. They t- it takes drugs for them to sleep at night. They can't eat. They're an emotional wreck, right? If, if, you're, if you're not mentally and emotionally stable, right, don't, don't take this job. Here's the next one, self-control. Now, that word self-control literally means to have a, a disciplined life or to have a sound de- decision-making process. So this is a guy who's not constantly changing his mind, changing his theology, changing his leadership direction, changing his staff. I've known pastors over the years who they just get tired of the staff and they fire them all. I know senior pastors who fire an entire staff just periodically, just because they, they just change their mind, right? Or have to get involved in the latest church growth fad. fad. Instead, this is a guy who knows his strengths and plays to those, but he also knows his weaknesses. And he surrounds himself with wise people and he listens to them. And he's humble. He knows he doesn't know it all. He invites other opinions into decision-making. He takes every decision he makes to God. Every decision goes to God. There's nothing more sound than that. And it's a man with self-control. Self-control starts in your personal life, people. It starts in your personal schedule. It starts in your personal diet and your exercise and what you do with your money and your alcohol consumption and what you do with your mouth, all of that. This is also about your work ethic. And again, I know guys, I know pastors, they went into the pastorate because they thought this is a job I'll never break a sweat in. It'll be easy. I come to work when I want, right? I go home when I want. I, uh, about a year ago, I, was, I had to see my doctor for something and we were kind of talking and my doctor made a suggestion. She said, you know, I think you're, given the way that you are just created by God, she said, I think you, it'd be better for you to go to work later in the morning because you work really well at night. Like, have you ever thought about going to your boss and asking him if you could come to work later? And I told her, I thought about it, but it won't work. And she said, is your, is your boss a jerk? And I said, no, my boss is me. Um, it won't work. I'm, I'll never give myself permission to do that, right? This is right. This is about showing up for work on time. This is about working hard. Ministry takes self-control. You get up in the morning, you work hard, you give it 100%. Here's the next thing he says, not given to drunkenness, all right? Now, that means I'm just putting without addictions here, right? Now, some people read this and they go, oh, well, this says pastors should never drink alcohol. It's not what it says. It just says they shouldn't drink too much. In fact, later on, he's gonna, Paul's actually gonna give Timothy a little advice about alcohol consumption. He's gonna say, actually, I think you should do it. I don't know if that says something about his ministry or what, but he's like, I think you should, you should have a little bit. See, but this is a control issue. Pastors should always be under the control of the Holy Spirit of God and nothing else should control them. And again, I've known pastors that have relied on alcohol. I've known a guy who had to drink every night just to get to sleep. Right? If, if that's your job, if that's what you do as an elder, that's a bad plan. That's not sustainable. Right? You, need a, you need a better plan than that. And then he says, not a lover of money. Someone who's financially content and upright. Now, here's the deal. I love what money can do. Money can pay the bills. Money gives us light in here. It gives us heat in here. I'm a big fan of heat in the winter. It gives us chairs to sit on. It gives us food to give to people who are hungry. But it's a problem when you love the money itself. Not what money can do, but when you love the money itself. When you're greedy and when you're focused on the pursuit 
of money. And sometimes with some pastors, it almost feels like that, doesn't it? It almost feels like the thing they want more than anything else isn't people that come to Jesus. They just want money. Now, in most jobs, you'll get a promotion for that, right? Like if you're willing to do anything it takes and work any amount of hours and sacrifice your family at, to get more money from the company, you'll get, a, you know, you'll get a raise for that. You'll get a promotion for that. But for a pastor, for an elder, no, we love God first. We love people first. And money is just what we can use. What, what we, it's a tool to help us love people. And almost every week we hear stories about pastors who are mismanaging funds, who are abusing the church credit card, who are buying clothes for themselves and gift cards for themselves. It's a big scam right now. I hear story after story about pastors who use church money to buy gift cards and then they'll tell people, well, we're giving them away, but they're not. They're just using them themselves. It's the big scam right now. Or church money for vacations or, or just stealing, you know, just flat out stealing cash out of the offering. It still happens. Now, at Gateway, kind of here's the way it works. Every year, our congregation approves a budget. The, elder, or the, the deacons come up with a budget. They give it to the congregation. The congregation passes the budget. And, and then many of our budget items are managed by some of the elders. So the pastors, we manage some of those. But, but we, have to live within our, we have to live within the budget that was passed by the congregation, and we have to account for every single dollar. We have church credit cards. I don't know if you knew that or not. We have church, and each one of the pastors has a credit card. Because in the olden days, we'd go out and spend our own money and get reimbursed. And again, that's kind of a sticky way of doing it. So now we have credit cards. And one of the great things about a credit card is, as we, as we take care of expenses for the churches, it's kind of an added layer of accountability for staff. And so every month, you know, we have to fill out a report and, you know, we have to uh, uh, put the receipts on there and, uh, you know, a little blood, sign it in blood, and we give it to uh, the treasurer and he pours over all that stuff. Um, I don't personally, I don't handle cash. I can't write checks. I don't have access to the safe. And I'm glad I don't. Don't want to have anything to do with that. All right? Not a lover of money. And lastly, he talks about an elder's relationship to other people. He just says, an elder is respectable. That means worth following and imitating. There are just two pictures I found this week, and I think these sum it up good. Picture one of what this means. If, if, you, were, if you were a parent, and you had young children, and, and you passed away while your children were still young, who would you want to raise your kids, right? Who would you want them uh, to, to imitate? That's a good idea of what he's talking about in terms of respectable here. Here's another one. If you were just to look around at some guys in the room and ask yourself, would I let my daughter marry a guy with his character? Again, that's a good one because if not, why would you let that person lead your church? Respectable, uh, hospitable. It means to be welcoming. Now, I'll tell you this. When I first came to Gateway and we were a lot smaller, this was a lot easier. There was a day years ago when it was easy to accept invitations to lunch when it was easy to accept invitations into someone's home, people used to ask me, hey, you want to go golfing? And I would say yes. I don't know why I did that. Um, people would just drop in the office. People would just stop by the house. When we were smaller. That was easy, and it happened a lot. But things have changed. For me, it's, it's really a challenge. In fact, here's, here's the challenge for me. Every week, I put a schedule together. And here are the first things that go on my calendar every week. The sermon which takes most of my week, all right? The sermon, and, and then the staff, I gotta put them on my schedule. Um, and then I, I spend a lot of time in prayer. I believe that's absolutely biblical in what I'm supposed to do. 
put that on there. Spending time with lay leaders. There's leadership meetings. There's administration to take care of. And then I usually I'll see if there's any time left. And then usually I'll try to do a few things with that time. I'll try to find uh, some spots that I can spend with a couple of, couple of young men in the church to, to disciple them. So usually I have a couple of those each week. And uh, then sometimes I'll just have a few openings for whoever may ask. So it's always kind of funny. Sometimes people walk up and say, you know, I know you probably can't, but can I see you this week? And sometimes I tell people, actually, yes. Yeah, I can see you this afternoon or I can see you tomorrow. It's kind of a, I only have a few openings a week. It's kind of a first come, first serve kind of thing. And then I have time for my grow group. So my wife and I, we're in a grow group. That grow group meets at our house. And uh, so it's on, on my day off. So I usually try to take some time to, to get things ready around the house. And sometimes I do a little cooking and we give a little time to our grow group. And, but, but quite frankly, once I put those things on my schedule, there isn't any more time. There's nothing left. So here's my goal. It's to do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. Remember a couple years ago we talked about that? We can't help everyone. We can't feed everyone. None of us can spend time with everyone who wants to spend time with us. But we can always do for the one what we wish we could do for everyone. I can't meet everyone's expectations. And again, I deal with this a lot. People who will say to me, I think you should do this. I think you should do this. Why don't you do that? Why don't you go there? It's very simple. I think the church has made it clear for me and scripture. I need to teach. I need to pray. I need to spend time with the leadership. Those are the first things that I'm supposed to do scripturally. And I do that. Any time left, I'll give it to whoever asks. And that's part of the reason why we have a pastoral team. And sometimes people expect the senior pastor to do this or to do that or other things. It's why we have a team. It's why there's four other pastors on staff. And, you know, if they visit you, that's as good as me visiting you. In fact, just personally, it's probably better than me visiting you. Because I'm just, uh, anyways, let's move on. Uh, not, not violent, all right? Even-tempered, kind, gracious. A pastor cannot be a hothead, all right? Because pastors deal with a lot of difficult people, all right? We deal with people who do stupid things, who hurt other people, who are unfaithful to their mates, who abuse kids. And if our ministry was to just punch them out, well, that's all we'd ever do is just be punching people out. But instead, we need to be pointing them to Jesus, and that takes a lot of grace. And that kind of goes to the next one, which is they shouldn't be quarrelsome. Pastors, elders should be peaceable and they should not be divisive. A pastor cannot be contentious. Pastors can't walk around looking for a fight, looking to, for, to correct people and to yell all the time. I just thought of it this way. Okay, we don't do that because it doesn't reflect the character of Jesus. Just think about this. If Jesus wanted to, he could have spent his entire ministry just walking around and yelling at everyone that he met because everyone he met was messed up. Everyone he met was a sinner. And yet Jesus walked around with grace and with gentleness and forgiving. And that's what elders and pastors should do as well. And lastly, again, it's just kind of a big statement, but he says this, they should have a good reputation with outsiders. They should be respected by non-Christians. A non-Christian should look at a pastor and go, there's a guy who loves his wife. There's a guy who's a good dad. There's a man who's humble. He's honest. He'll shoot straight with you. He loves people. He's trustworthy. He's not greedy. He's the kind of guy I can trust. I may not agree with him about God, but I can trust him. This honors God and it helps us reach people around us for Christ. So, at Gateway, we have elders. We call them pastors. Currently, all of our elders, all five of us, we're all paid staff. It may be in the future that that isn't the case. 
It may be that in the future, God's going to raise up some men in this church to be elders who are just going to serve in ministry and give their time and not get paid for it. That's certainly supported in Scripture. But as we close, I just would ask you this. I would ask you to please pray for your elders, to pray for me, to pray for Bill, for Ken, for Matthias, for Pastor Lee. Pray for our protection. Pray for our marriages. Pray for our kids. Pray for our purity. And encourage your pastors, especially on Mondays. Encourage your pastors. And aspire to these qualities yourself. I thank you for kind of hanging in there. We covered a lot of territory tonight. We're going to really continue this next week as we talk about deacons because we'll also talk about elders some more. But lastly, I just want to say this. It's always important for you to remember that Gateway belongs to Jesus. Gateway does not belong to the elders. Gateway does not belong to the staff. Gateway does not belong to the deacons. This is not my church. This is not the deacon's church. This church belongs to Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd. He died for the church. He rose for the church. He's building the church. We are his church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.